for the Kena. I'm Aaron. We're here today with Eric, Coburn, Piera, and PA Dale is back with us today. Hello. We're really excited. Um, we're doing a whole new series with Dale. Um, we're going to talk about some of the most dangerous drugs you may have never heard of. And so today we're talking about fentanyl. Um, a little background on fentanyl. Fentanyl was developed in the late 60s, early 70s. It's a synthetic opioid. Um, Dale's going to talk to us a little more about the medical uses and things like that of fentanyl before we get into the, all the dangerous stuff. Absolutely. So currently we, um, we utilize uh, fentanyl typically for end-of-life care and palliative care. And what that means is that if somebody um, has a, uh, an issue such as, uh, such as cancer and they're projected to die from that disorder within a period of four to six months, then we oftentimes use strong uh, opiates to manage their pain so their quality of life is, is uh, balanced out um, as best we can. And so fentanyl is uh, oftentimes utilized um, for that. It, it is usually only prescribed in a patch form. It is, not, um, it is sometimes utilized in a hospital environment in an injectable form, but it is not dispensed in a pill form or any other form on, onto uh, you know, the streets or out of a pharmacy except in a patch form. And so the reason that patch form is important is because it's uh, tra transdermal? Transdermal, and right. it's uh, released over a period of three days in mm -hmm. one patch, and so somebody can wear a patch for three days and then change a patch. We usually um, reserve the use of fentanyl patches for cases where somebody would be unable to uh, swallow a pill or if they need a 24-hour coverage for their pain control, you know, all night long, so that way they wouldn't have to wake up in the middle of the night and take another pain pill for their cancer pain, et cetera. And it's oftentimes easier for caregivers to also administer a patch rather than giving pills for six times a day. Sure. Now, I read that originally it was used uh, because it had less effect on the cardiovascular system um, for, like, heart mm -hmm. surgery and stuff. Have they had to use alternatives because of the nature of the drug? Right. It has some, it has some benefits um, in, in that regards. You know, for instance, methadone has some cardiotoxic uh, effects and, and can cause arrhythmias and that type of thing, and mm -hmm. fentanyl is a little cleaner agent to avoid those possible side effects. Okay. And so to kind of get in, to kind of put this all in view, so we're talking about opioids. We've talked about opioids on here uh, plenty of times before. We've talked a lot with um, some recovery stories, people who have done things like heroin. Um, in our very first podcast ever, we talked about, um, on our naloxone podcast, we talked about morphine. Eric's, yeah. yeah, Eric loves the Civil War. It's <laughs> a rabbit trail, I guess, but it's funny. Uh, when we first recorded our very first podcast, none of us had uh, recorded one. And so we're like really doing our research and it was like about naloxone, the dangers of opioids, the benefits of naloxone, et cetera. And uh, I had a health psychology book and so we had a good section of like uh, a lot of this information. And they had this fun little tidbit that uh, heroin was developed during the Civil War as an alternative to morphine that was supposedly supposed to be non-addictive. And so then we like introduced that a couple times, but each time it was said, it came up kind of like, during the Civil War, like, every time it just came off a little bit, like, I don't know, just not in any real, like, yeah, cut. And so, like, even if you listen to it, like, I'm talking pretty normal, and then it's like, 
Civil War, and everyone's just like, oh my gosh. And then we ended up, uh, <laughs> that day I put a password on my Wi-Fi, and it ended up being like Civil War something. <laughs> so so morphine and alternatives and Civil War, like they have a good inside ring here that's, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to bring it back on track. So as we've gone through these things, morphine to heroin and now on to other synthetic opioids such as fentanyl, these things have always increased in potency. Mm -hmm. They have. And, and uh, so from a medical perspective, the, the prescription fentanyl, it has been diverted, but it is not generating um, the deaths that we're currently seeing from fentanyl on the streets, the prescription form of fentanyl. Um, the, the deaths are being caused from illicit uh, uh, synthetic opiates being produced in places such as China and being produced in labs and then being smuggled into the United States. I have seen some patients that have um, tried to divert, um, like take a patch and and try to convert it so it's into an injectable form. Like it heat doesn't, it up it or doesn't something work very well, lines, I don't believe, yeah. for them. And there's just not the the number of patches out on the street for somebody to be able to, to have access to that um, sure. regularly. So it's, uh, I don't think the diversion of the patches is, is a really strong cause for the death rates that we're seeing. With that said, so there are definitely medical, good medical uses for fentanyl in certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's the diversion and now that they're in the Klanenstein labs, um, it, that production and getting sent into the country uh, very easily is the problem that we face now. The reason why I believe this is gonna become worse is that uh, we were talking earlier that fentanyl is uh, anywhere from you know, 50 to 100 times stronger than a dose of morphine. Mm -hmm. And a speck of it, uh, even just looking at a, um, a speck, a few grains of it is a lethal dose for an average person who doesn't use opioids on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. So when you're, um, when you're a illicit drug manufacturer and a dealer shipping in a, you know, a gram is worth how many hundreds of doses mm -hmm. versus trying to ship a package of heroin. Right. So it's a, uh, a much more concentrated form. Uh, you can hide it in, in much uh, easier ways into other things. And so it's a, um, from the supply, illicit supply perspective, it's something that's easier to get in than, than heroin. The other thing is, is it can be made in a lab. It doesn't require an, uh, you know, an opium poppy to, mm -hmm. to manufacture. Right. And so you've eliminated that whole growing season, that whole pro that very labor intensive process over in Afghanistan. You've uh, mm -hmm. eliminated that off the, off the table when you're able to manufacture it in a lab. Yeah. And so I think it's going to become a, a cheaper, easier way into the illicit market. Mm -hmm. um, it gets shipped in through Amazon from China. Wow. You know, and all types of different, you know, goods. So with this uh, kind of on the rise, how it's basically virtually identical. Like if you look at it, it looks basically like whatever heroin looks like. So are there some pretty common names for it or things that maybe people can look out for since it is so potentially harmful? Um, the difficulty is, is that, well, I mean, I've heard the street name is China White. Mm -hmm. gotcha. is what the term that I've heard. I, I don't know the other street names for it. Mm -hmm. The difficulty is is that I think a lot of times, or, or sometimes I've had patients of mine tell me that 
they they're they think they're buying heroin and it may have been cut two or three or four times by the time it gets to alaska oh my goodness <laughs> and then somebody may add a little fentanyl to try to say hey this is real good and and sure. they and they don't even know where along that chain it was added mm -hmm. and you don't know how much and when you're talking about adding something that is when we administer it to a cancer patients we're talking about a microgram of a dose we're talking you know a microgram it's it's a tiny tiny amount in a dosing like a and, dust spec size. Yes. Like very, very small. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're talking about some buddy in their garage trying to cut this stuff or add it to make their heroin a little better, mm -hmm. a small error is going to have a huge effect. And I even I saw in a documentary that it, it could even be in the same shot of heroin that someone could overdose and the other person could not. Right. Because it's it's not mixed. so powerful. Yeah, and it's exactly. not mixed yeah. homogeneously among that dose of, of heroin. Right. You know, so... You take a little tiny sample of the an eighth of a tenth over here and an eighth and a tenth on the other side. There's maybe no fentanyl on the other side because it wasn't mm -hmm. fully mixed. You know, yeah. it's not a pharmacy compounding thing that's going on in somebody's garage. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then so even when they're is not mm -hmm. a lab technician. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I've watched some programs where they also, I guess, they do press it into pills mm -hmm. and they try to do home pressing into pills, but it's still it's somebody who's trying to give a equal dose hmm. into each one of those pressed tablets so a tiny speck of it is fentanyl and the rest of it's just a filler mm -hmm. um, and so if there's any small error in that you may have three or four pills that are pretty equal and then that fourth pill is a lethal dose hmm. well and what seems freaky to me is it's not just in heroin also like, there's also been accounts, I've been trying to find the article, but I can't find it right now, where they've been cutting, like, cocaine with it also. So people mm -hmm. who are not necessarily heroin addicts, if you're just doing cocaine or even if you're at a party or something and do cocaine, you could be potentially getting fentanyl into your system and overdose mm -hmm. from that. There was a recent article um, that was specifically talking about that nationwide. We're yeah, seeing the, the overdose deaths from from heroin are actually going down, mm -hmm. but the the overdose deaths from methamphetamine and uh, synthetic opiates are climbing. So in 2016, fentanyl and similar illicit narcotics such as carfentanyl, carfentanyl is another synthetic opiate that is, did we say 10,000 10, yeah. times yeah. stronger? 10,000. Elephant and tranquilizer. And so that's even a tiner, <laughs> tiny, a sm much, much smaller dose than fentanyl even, uh, which is used as an elephant tranquilizer. It's being involved in up to 50% of opioid-related deaths now. Wow. Uh, and then they call this <clears throat> on the street, I guess, a speedball or a goofball is a, a combination of cocaine and methamphetamine that's cut with fentanyl. And these, we're starting to see these as the new combination of causing lots of overdose deaths. Hmm. Yeah. I read on the, uh, there was a stat from the CDC that in 2018, fentanyl was present in one in four overdose deaths, like mm -hmm. just over 18,000. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, obviously what makes it so dangerous is that it is so potent, but, and it's cheap and it's potent and it can be really cut into anything so like there's really like no safety in buying it's like even like you are you know you just got like going out to a party and like we're in a day and age now where it's like this isn't the 60s like everything is getting more and more as knowledge grows like everything's getting more powerful 
you know, everything from marijuana to cocaine to things getting cut now. Like, it's not just a bunch of guys in their backyard, you know, like in their little lab or whatever. Like, it's really dangerous stuff. You know, it's mm -hmm. not drugs have lo kind of lost a sense of like a lack of being casual anymore mm -hmm. in the way that like we've just progressed into like this the more powerful the cheaper like it's, it's become such a billion dollar enterprise like it's just getting more and more dangerous to really buy anything off the street anymore like it's mm -hmm. just kind of a it's a dangerous ordeal kind of putting your life in your hands at that point anytime you're really going to buy anything illicit from jimmy J down the block it's just not a safe place to really buy anything anymore and it seems like they're not actually talking to kids about that either like not necessarily kids kids but like college high school um when people when kids are just starting to get into partying mm -hmm. they're not no one's telling them about that and so i feel like and you should they, at least if raise they are i think there's like away. an i think there's like an element of well that wouldn't happen to me Especially because, mm -hmm. like, if you're buying your drugs from the same guy that you, you grew up with or that you have some kind of rapport with, mm -hmm. you, I think there can be this element of, like, not me. But then yeah. there's a, at some point along that drug chain, that supply chain, mm -hmm. somewhere along the line, it's not your friend anymore, you know. Yeah. It's some person a long ways away that none of you guys have ever met mm -hmm. doing things with chemicals that are really really powerful and really really dangerous and i think you know in the like kind of you know in montana there was like that montana meth project and it's mm -hmm. like or and like all kinds of other projects that are like drug kind of related uh public health kind of deals that are like not even once but really it's like just one time with just a speck of dust too much and mm -hmm. that might be it you know and that's mm -hmm. it's really scary you know and it's really unfortunate too because it's like not only is like doing drugs a dangerous or risk-taking behavior, but now you can't you can't even really take your risks with knowledge. You know, you mm -hmm. can't even take informed risks, yeah. really. And I've had experienced heroin users who've who've been using for ten, twenty years, right. who say, "I've never overdosed because I know how to do this in a safe way. Yeah. I take a taste." Right. I'll mm. take a little sample, a tiny sample from a bag and I will use and then I will kind of be able to judge how, how concentrated it is. The problem with the fentanyl is it's not mixed evenly throughout mm -hmm. that whole bag. Right. right. So you could have three doses from that that tenth. Yeah. Or right. Mm -hmm. Or three of the tenths you bought were equal. And then that last dose has a dose of fentanyl and then and then you're done. So you yeah. have no idea. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, we've even heard that they're sometimes taking multiple many doses of narcan to 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 prevent uh our typical narcan dose kit that we send out is is two sprays well there's sometimes they're needing four to six eight wow doses of of narcan to to recover my goodness because the idea is that narcan is out competing the comp the chemicals in narcan are out competing for uh for those receptors, right? Right. With other opioids. Mm -hmm. um, is there going to be a point where, like, Narcan just doesn't outcompete something? Well, um, or is it, or is it just like chemically locked like in? Like the car it's fentanyl, like, eh. it, I think it'll still work, but it's going to need exceedingly sure. high doses. Mm -hmm. and, sure. And by the time, yeah, it's. Um, I, I don't know how well Narcan works for car fentanyl. Sure. It just it, again, it's a dose yeah. relationship, but. And when you're there, you know, like you say it does take two, four, six, eight, ten, 
like you're fighting time at that point too. Like you're getting a little bit better, but if it's not going to outcompete by the time that there's too much damage done, serious brain injuries, lack of oxygen, there's a whole just other litany of health problems that can occur just from even if you do get revived, just not not having enough time. Right. That. Uh, and it seems like it's something for somebody to carry Narcan, right? I mean, that's a you know that's a great step, and I think it takes a level of you know, wherewithal to, to do that, you know, it's kind of a whole nother level to make, you're going to need eight of these, you know, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a, that's another task, I feel like, and right. that's, you know, that's unfortunate. Um, you know, I, I'd equate it to, you know, um, so a college kid, you know, drinking a wine cooler versus drinking 12 ounces of straight moonshine. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that can kill you. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a high enough dose. Yeah. And, but, uh, but you think you're drinking your Locker standard dose, yeah. you know. Yeah. You think you're drinking a Mike's Hard, but it's Everclear. You have right. no yeah. idea. Right. But that that's the kind of the level is that right. You don't know idea deceptive. when you're injecting it in your vein. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah exactly. That's crazy. Do you think that's going to be the trend? I mean, it definitely seems like it, but do you think it's just going to get more potent, or is there going to be a cutoff point like with carfentanil where it's just it's so easy to just end up dead? I have to assume from a pure business perspective, it's not in the drug dealer and manufacturer's best interest to kill off their customers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you think there's going to be some point where that slows down a little bit with the potency? I, I certainly yeah. hope so. Now, yeah. so with that said, you know, from a harm reduction standpoint, there are some kits that are being available, being made available um, to individuals to be able to test. Oh, the test strips. The test strips mm -hmm. to test for... Uh, fentanyl. Now, I'm not sure if they're testing for it's able to come up positive for carfentanil or not. I think I'm not. It's just fentanyl. So it may just be fentanyl. So there's a way that people can get test strips to to be able to test their their uh, what they have. Mm -hmm. um, but again, my question is is um, well, okay, you you tested a, a little corner of what you have, right. but the fentanyl's in the other side of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how accurate that is. Um, mm -hmm. It's better than nothing, probably though. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But it's uh, but it is a certainly an option out there do you know where you might go to where someone i'm not familiar in our program here locally i i know i've heard that it's being dispensed through um uh in homer though so in through, homer? through a program in homer but i'm not familiar with a program up here yeah that's doing that yet might be able to i don't know i'm finding information on it in it says harm reduction coalition so harm reduction.org they have information on it, but I don't know if you can get it on there, but you can find more information on there at least mm -hmm. if anyone's actually curious. So <laughs> if I'm if I'm a drug user, like a, 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 norm, a chronic drug user, mm -hmm. and I'm think, like really trying to think this through, like how do I survive and continue to do drugs, seems as if my test strip, maybe a decent option, but not always the, the best option because you have to seemingly test every dose. Mm-hmm. Say I don't have a test strip and I'm withdrawing, I'm probably going to use regardless, you know, I mean, knowing just that basic situation. So it seems as if at this point, there's no way to really ensure that my drugs are completely safe, which means I can't really ensure I'm not going to overdose. Mm -hmm. So it seems like my only real option is to not use alone and have Narcan in a, in a substantial amount. Yeah. Definitely. And if you're that's a use, lot of ifs, man. Yeah. About if you're going to use with, alive. with somebody else, 
not you using know, it at the same, same moment. Time. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of ifs, right? 20 yeah. minutes apart, you know, or well, something like that. this is kind of a scary thing, is on this website that I mentioned earlier, um, it says testing at the Insight Safe Injection Facility in Vancouver. In 2016, 80% or 86% of all drugs tested were positive for fentanyl, whether pills or powder, and that was in 2016. Hmm. 86%. And so, what drugs did they test? Like, was it a, a wide variety? The ones they say um, cocaine, MDMA, ketamine, wow. other non-injectable drugs. But this, this test, the test strips are for literally anything. Mm-hmm. So, so they just test for fentanyl. Like yeah, these ones in just in particular test for fentanyl. I don't know if they have other test strips that test for I'm fentanyl. not familiar with street supplied test strips that are able to do that. Yeah. Right. You know, it's a little complex sure. to have multiple mm-hmm. yeah. um, sentences. Because there's a, there's a big difference between when I um, do a urine collection on somebody, I'm, I'm almost always testing for the metabolite what your body changes sure. the drug into yeah. and not the drug itself. Yeah. So, for instance, yeah. I, if I took one of my urine test cups and put some actual fentanyl in there, it would probably show negative because I'm actually looking for the metabolite that a person would right. produce after being exposed to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So that's different technology, different chemical. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they, uh, like with alcohol, somebody, I remember coming across something that they would, they would do a urine test for that, and I was like, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, I was quite, you know, I was like, it doesn't make any sense. But I guess they were just testing for the metabolite. Right. Of ETG is what it's called. Dale, with some of your clients, uh, does this added risk, you know, if they're aware of it, does that deter them at all? Or is it, like, what's the, what's the mentality? I can't imagine that if you're currently struggling with hard drugs that you're super concerned for your welfare but is that added like you're basically possibly rolling the dice for if you're going to live or not does that is that a lot of reasons for quitting for people or i've had some patients that have come in after an overdose because it scared them enough Mm -hmm. or they saw Mm -hmm. a friend that overdosed and it scared them enough to say i've had enough of this Mm. Yet, um, I will say that uh, once somebody has uh, been using for, particularly for a, a number of years, if not over a decade, that that decision making process doesn't isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just not something you know, that's thought about. It's just really. an impulse. Yeah, yeah. it's an impulse, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not a. You're not really making uh, many good decisions to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's in regards to your family, protect your family, or. To get into a car high, I mean, there's probably not a thought that crosses their mind of that I'm doing something dangerous. Right. Uh, a lot of times when it's a, a daily user that's using several times a day. Mm-hmm. So it seems like if you're using for 10 years, for a lot of people, it probably, you know, it's like, I need to quit or I'm going to lose my job. And then they lose their job. I'm going to quit or I'm going to lose. And each of these losses increases in, like, personal loss, right? And so then there becomes, a, I think, a point where you're like, if anything starts with quit or this, like, it's just going to have to assume that this or is going to mm-hmm. happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, after 10 years, I think that probably gets to be a, a reality. It's very, almost right. fatalistic. It's right, like, right. Yeah. What else do I have to lose? Sure. Mm-hmm. Besides being sick. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You, uh, you showed us some charts earlier about, uh, can you explain some of those? Um no, about the uh, overdoses that you were seeing in the hospital, and then 
a drop-off. Yeah, so kind of those trends. I thought those were interesting. And I believe these are posted on the um, website for Change for the Kenai, and uh, we've been gathering data on the um, number of reported overdoses in our local uh, emergency room, and uh, we were averaging per month uh, before July of 2017. We we're averaging somewhere between. 16 and 22 overdoses per month uh, reported in the ER. At the hospital here? At the hospital. Okay. Now that doesn't mean overdose deaths. That's just uh, side effects from overdose of using a drug. Um, and it could be any, any type of drug, uh, yeah. basically. It could be prescription, illicit, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the past um, two years, uh, our, our overdose rates are now between two and five per month on average down from 16 to 22 correct mm -hmm. okay correct wow. and so it's a significant decline in the past two years which is wonderful and i believe that that is uh, in part of multiple things have happened in our community both uh, narcan being readily available and and out available for people to have on hand in case of a uh, accidental overdose and you um, can get that narcan at kenai public health on Barnacle Way out in Kenai, um, just by the PCHS, uh, by that dental office over there. That it looks. It old. looks like a house, though. It looks old, bro. <laughs> I, I think it used. To, it had to have been uh, residential or something at some point. You know what the building we're talking about, right? No. There's a PCHS uh, dental office over in Kenai, like across from the like softball areas. House. Okay. It, it just no. looks. I mean, it just looks like a classic house. Like I was with a kid okay. one time, like a ten-year-old, mm -hmm. and we drove by, and and she's like. That's a cool house. And I was like, and it, I didn't tell her because it wasn't relevant, but it, I mean, it's the dental, so yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to rewind back to like, and you can get that. Uh, oh, dude. You got and it. The, and then also I think the, the, <laughs> the drops in the overdose rates are also uh, due to, you know, combined efforts of there's several um, local providers now that, um, that have been able to provide people with uh, other options. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and a path to recovery. Our our efforts have have been really tremendous in our small community. Yeah. What about... do you mean by what do you mean by other? So there are several providers, you know, um, uh, and I'm not promoting any one over another. Right, but right. Um, ideal options opened in Kenai uh, okay. in the past two years. Uh, Dr. Khan with PCHS is focused on addiction medicine uh, uh, as well. Uh, Dr. Spencer down in uh, Homer and Nilchik has has been providing care now for a couple years uh, and then uh, with my clinic and with Central Peninsula Hospital is opened um, so there's multiple efforts um, there also have been in the past um, uh, other local providers uh, that were family practice providers but that wasn't their focus it was sure. just a part of something they did but now we have basically three uh, clinics that focus on nothing but addiction care wow. mm -hmm. that's great for our small community, that's pretty. It's pretty big. Yeah, I'm always blown away by what this community is is doing mm -hmm. around addiction. Yeah, and we were uh, before this. We were talking about um, just having it all in one spot and not having those fragmented um, piece or places to go where you need to get these services. Like we talked about the importance of care transition. You come into the ER. You go right from the ER, you can be admitted to the hospital or to inpatient. If you choose, um, there's just, you get the options right there. So you like, you don't have that, 
oh, well, I went to the ER, now go home and come back in a couple days where even we can make you an appointment for your care provider, but where you're not going to see him until Monday. And you go home, Monday comes around, and there's no transportation, or you just don't want to go anymore. Like you kind of lost your momentum already. Sure. So I think that's a pretty big, mm -hmm. it's a big step. And we've come a long way um, with even the possibility of uh, uh, buprenorphine or um, suboxone being delivered in the ER. Oh, wow. Before the person leaves. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's a case-by-case -case basis. Mm -hmm. uh, yet, um, that has... Uh, We've had uh, good uh, results with with offering that as well. Yeah, reminds me of uh, that kind of A to Z in one spot, or mm -hmm. at least one uh, kind of seamless route. Right. Let's say, reminds me of uh, when I was doing like OCS stuff and child welfare stuff. It seemed like a lot of the clients, if some, if some, I'm not going to characterize or the group by any means, but if there were some who had you know, multiple, who had faced multiple things that, hardships in their life, right, let's say, t some type of abuse and a type of, uh, and they were addicted. And let's say they were also facing other, like, basic economic barriers, right? They're unemployed at this point. Mm -hmm. If they, I mean, there's there's several different things going on there, right? And so, like, maybe just fixing addiction, I mean, good start, but maybe there were other things there that were still would prevent them from living a really quality life, right? But the ones that seem to go into an inpatient rehabilitation center early on where you were working on all of all types of traumas, all types of hardships, you were getting set up with some type of employment or place to live. Basically, you were tackling that A through Z mm -hmm. in a seamless way. Those were the ones at least... With a, in proportion of success versus failure, uh, who were doing really seemed to do really well, and it just and when I was making those like I mean nothing profound, but seeing that trend it, and now hearing this, and I think I've you know we've seen this for a little while, and it's just so nice to see that you can get so many of these in in one kind of seamless route because otherwise when it's so broken apart and you put so many just basic barriers of whether it be transportation, especially in Alaska when it can be cold, you know, there's just all these different barriers. And what happens is you run into, you know, you're in a really fragile place in life and you run into just a couple bumps in the road in, in a short enough gap of time. And that can derail for a significant amount of time, especially if you're in the child welfare system, mm -hmm. you derail for eight months and you don't have a whole lot of time to get back on track, you know? Yeah. So I'm just, I, yeah, thanks, Dale, for, you know, I know you listening to the podcasts and, you know, hearing you uh, speak otherwise. It's just uh, very obvious that you are invested in the well-being of people in this community and attacking uh, addiction kind of at its front. And I think that, you know, each piece becomes so critical to somebody's, you know, not to be dramatic, but somebody's life or yeah. or not, you know. So thank you. Yeah. Well, it's been so, a, it's been a wonderful experience yeah. uh, from a provider perspective to to be able to uh, help somebody in so so significantly. You know, yeah. uh, I think most providers go into medicine to help people, mm -hmm. and um, this is an area of medicine where you can do a, a lot of good and and really make help people make a difference in their lives. You yeah. know, I don't actually do anything. I just coach people through it, mm -hmm. sure. and and into a different avenue. Uh, but uh, but it's. Uh, 
it's um, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, as you were kind of mentioning earlier about uh, when we were talking about the, the fear of overdosing kind of driving people, I think that connects with uh, what Eric and Aaron were saying about uh, kind of getting that A to Z care, uh, especially when the the fear of that experience happening so soon, you know, you, they're in the hospital, say, or um, and they're aware that, wow, I almost died, basically. And once a week passes or something, maybe you look back on it and you're like, but I lived though, yeah. you know, but I made it. I'm still here. So yeah. it must have not yeah. been that bad. I think fear is not always very long lived. Right. You yeah. Know? yeah. Think it's about the, you know, call. I think it's uh, especially how many people have heard like, uh, especially younger people, but not a specific to a generation, just younger mm -hmm. people like, oh, I'm never doing that again, you know, and then, and then or like, again. God, yeah. if I, you let me out of this, right. like, that's a classic <laughs> yeah. idea, right? Mm -hmm. And then, like, mm -hmm. four days later, yeah. you know, same right. thing, right? It's the, right. Cla it's the classic hangover speech, dude. Like, I'm never <laughs> drinking again. And yeah. Like you said, a week roll, weekend rolls later, we're like, oh, but I'll be fine tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be different this time. Yeah. But yeah, mm -hmm. I think, like, Having everything right here, right there does, like, I think that's a good point. Yeah. Like, it doesn't give you time to kind of re-rationalize and re-justify some things and give yourself a, oh, but I live, though. I'll just, you know, it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's important. Especially with so. something that only takes two milligrams, or not even milligrams, but micrograms. Micrograms. Two micrograms, yeah. And that's it. That's the crazy thing is, like, it's, it's so easy to be, like, in everything. And it's, like, there's such a gamble. Like, it kind of makes me anxious just thinking about it. I'm not much of a gambling guy, but, like, literally, like, it may not be. It could be from the same bag. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. Well, maybe dude, the next day. Like, it's just. And it can also, like, be from just contact. Like, because there's a few. I don't know. There were a few articles that I found. Isn't that right? Or where it was, well, like, kids got in contact with it. Um, I think that I think it's mainly through ingestion or inhalation okay. or inhalation. It could be uh, absorbed that way. So for it's like, not as it's not as red. I mean, uh, so if somebody like if if uh, we had spilled some on this table here and you touched the table and you didn't really know it was on there and then you went and ate a sandwich or you touched your mouth or something, you can ingest it that way. Or if it was aerosolized and you breathed it in, I think it definitely could be a toxic okay. exposure. But it's not as. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, but um, it's um, uh, there's been lots of times where you know police officers, for instance, will get exposed to it, and uh, um, and as a precaution, they'll um, they'll take them and get them evaluated. But uh, uh, but it's not as readily absorbed through the okay. skin without a transdermal, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. a, actually a you know a system. There has to be other chemicals involved, mm -hmm. and it, and it just it's highly variable. If you're hot and sweaty and your pores are open, I, th I assume that you're more likely to absorb it versus. Okay. Um, uh, etc. So that's good to know because I read that article and it mm -hmm. freaked me out a little. <laughs> now with the fentanyl patches, of course, it's a transdermal system. It has other carrier mm -hmm. agents that pull the drugs into you. Yeah. And so that's where, if a kid, particularly, you know, um, handles a patch that's been discarded into a trash can, and is handling it, I've I've um, known specifically cases that I've. Um, been aware of that uh, where a child has pulled a, a fentanyl patch out of the garbage can and, and put it on their sibling and they they overdosed and died wow and uh, so when we dispense those pa those patches we are so careful to tell uh, those folks that they are to pull them off and put them in two or three other things and bottle them up and you know destroy them in a very safe way
Yeah, yeah. we have uh, the uh, disposal bags as well that mm -hmm. will dispose patches. Yeah. Yep, they do. Yeah. Uh, those are also Kenai Public Health, uh, where you can also get Narcan. It's by the house-looking uh, PCHS dental building, um, right off of Barnacle Way there. I think it's 725 Barnacle Way um, in Kenai. And Narcan's free. Your disposal bags are free. Um, yeah, if like we said, it's just so it's just such a gamble anymore, you know, to buy all these things off the streets, you know, whatever it may be, even if it is that one time at a party or you know, maybe you are a chronic drug user listening to this now, but if you don't want to take that gamble anymore, you can always reach out to the various local entities we have here that work to work to help people. Um, you can call the Serenity House, 907-714-4521, um, the intake office there. They may be able to hook you up with some some help. Um, you can always the hospital, right? That's right. A good place to start. Um, your number? Yes, so I'll come to the ER or call the hospital at 714-4414. Is, is the main hospital number. Okay. And they may be able to hook you up as well. Dale, thank you so much for uh, giving us a different... Um, Different look as it as to in what fentanyl is, uh, kind of how it gets in, what the medical purposes are, and just some general awareness. We really appreciate your I perspective. Think before we opinion. before we go, I think uh, it's nice. I appreciate I appreciate all of it, but uh, I like that you, you know. I think in the process of the opioid epidemic, opioids themselves have been vilified, but for a lot of people. They do a lot of good. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like earlier in this uh, episode you mentioned that for a lot of people, fentanyl does a lot of good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like we're vilifying fentanyl itself. You know, right. we're, what we're trying to do is just share its uses, medical proper uses, as well as its dangers and ways to potentially avoid some of its negative consequences if they work into other drugs or other properties or substances that have, you know, otherwise mm -hmm. could then produce some harmful consequences, which it sounds like um, if you're doing drugs on regular, if you're doing drugs, period, you should, you would be served to have a few things of Narcan mm -hmm. with you. Right. So... Yeah, thank you so much, Dale. Thank you. As thank always, you. this is you and I for the Kenai. <laughs>